Good morning. Good morning. If you have your Bibles, I want you to go to two places with me. First place will be Exodus 20. The second place will be Deuteronomy 5. First place, Exodus 20. Second place, Deuteronomy 5. I'm going to take a break for just a, a few weeks to, uh, to think about Advent and uh, to consider the, the coming of Christ and the incarnation and, and all of that and to try and narrow in on, on a couple particular topics as, as we think about Advent. And uh, we'll take a break again from our normal verse-by-verse walking through the Scriptures uh, here to, to kind of bounce around just a little bit. Um, hopefully, you've just recently started playing Christmas music because before Thanksgiving, it should just not happen. Is anybody here a pre-Thanksgiving Christmas music player? Okay, shame on you. <laughs> Enjoy Thanksgiving. There should be more Thanksgiving music. You sh- are, are you thankful for Christmas music during Thanksgiving? Is that what we're doing? Okay. All right, that's whatever makes you feel better. Uh, <laughs> I am a, I, uh, as a singer-songwriter, I, I, I like, he said, I have finally lifted the embargo on Christmas music uh, now that Thanksgiving is over. Um, I, that, that's how I am. But, now, but once, like, and you can ask my wife, like, once Thanksgiving's done, I'm like, all right, it's time to put up the tree. It's time to get ready for Christmas. I'm good. Like, you know, I was playing Christmas music all day long yesterday. We got to put up the tree and, and all of those fun pagan things that we do uh, that we bring into our homes and put lights around. And, you know, if you caught that, good for you. Uh, what, what I want to do here in the beginning is I, I want to set up for us that you have to bear with me. My intro is going to be a little extra long this morning because I'm, I'm going to take the first bit to kind of set up the series. And then I'm going to take the, the next little bit of the intro to set up the actual sermon for today. The first part, as we think about Advent, our series is going to be kind of broken up into three parts. First of all, what does the Bible have to say about rest, resting well? What does the Bible have to say about working well? And then the kind of the, the, the fifth sermon in the series is going to be, what does it look like to actually work faithfully and rest well, to, to kind of put those two things together and think through, particularly the idea of faithfulness and fruitfulness. We're going to work through those things together in a few weeks. But this week, we're going to start off with the idea of rest. And particularly, we're going to look at today what it looks like uh, from the Old Testament to look at the idea of rest. What does the Old Testament have to say about rest? And then next week, Pastor John will look at what does the New Testament say about rest? And then we'll go to work and uh, Old Testament work, New Testament work, and then what does it look like to kind of put the two things together to work well and to rest, to faithfully work and to rest well. And you say, well, why a series on work and rest at Christmas time? Why? This kind of series, this doesn't seem Advent-like, at least this is a question I had. I thought it was time to talk about baby, a baby in a manger, and do a bunch of like familial sentimentalities, like eggnog, presents, family time, and then make sure we tag Jesus in there somewhere. I mean, why, why a series on 
rest and work at Christmas time? A couple reasons. One, this whole series is really a deeper exploration of, of a particular phrase in Luke chapter 2, verse 14. It says, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is really a, a deeper exploration of those first few words in there, or the, the, sorry, the second phrase there, on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. What does this peace, as the second reason is this, as people with, with whom God is pleased, we need to think through what it means to distinctively strive for this peaceful living. What does this peaceful living look like? Ultimately, this, this peace that we will get is between us and God that is, comes because of the blood of Jesus. But there is a peace that is birthed out of that that is among us. That is given to us people to enjoy here and now. So we want to ask the question, what does it look like to have peace on earth? Now notice a couple things about this phrase very quickly here. Notice he says peace on earth. It's not solely, this peace is not solely a, a futuristic peace or not solely a geographically uh, limited uh, peace that's, that's limited to heaven and heaven alone, but a peace to us, a peace among us. It's a peace right now. It's a peace for today. It's a, it's a peace for your home, a peace within your relationships. It's, it's a peace for now. But also notice, second, that he says, it's a peace among whom God is pleased. This is God's people. Washed in the blood of Jesus. This is not a peace for all. Later, you know, Jesus didn't come to bring peace to all. He, this is a peace to, among those whom God is pleased. This is his people. And of course, we know he is pleased with us solely because of Jesus, not because of anything that we've done, but because of the work of Christ. It's a peace that's ultimately among us that is rooted outside of us. It's a peace among us that is rooted in redemption. Peace with God then brings peace on earth. And again, notice that he says peace among us, in us, around us each individually and as a people. So this Advent season, we want to take some time to think about living in God's peace, living peacefully, having peaceful rhythms of life, particularly as we think about working faithfully and resting well. Now we could stop and think about living peacefully and think about, okay, does this action bring me peace? Is this choice going to bring peace? Is this going to be peaceful to other people? And should I do this or should I do that? Is, you know, is, is this word that I'm about to speak going to bring peace to these people? We can ask all that. And those are great questions to ask. And I would encourage you to ask those questions. But I want us to step up a level and think about living peacefully, particularly through the rhythm of time. The rhythms of life and time and rest, time and rest. Does the way I steward time bring the reality of God's peace to my life? Does the rhythm of work and rest show that I understand and that I have the peace of God and that I experience the peace of God in work and rest? When we think of the way time rolls by, 
I really think we can put them into two general categories, work and rest. Every moment of every day is spent either working or resting. Now, let me help you with some definitions to how I'm thinking about these terms. When we're working, you're either bringing dominion to something. When you're resting, you are resting under someone or something's dominion. So either bringing dominion to something, we're working to bring dominion to this earth, or we're resting under the dominion of something else or someone else. You're either influencing someone or something to some end, or you are resting under the influence of something or someone to some end. Okay? So work, rest. Now our culture swings every day from one extreme to the other. One, one end of the pendulum, we work, 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 and work. And on the other end, then we rest, 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 rest. And so each day, each week, each season, we work, work, work. We are frenzied, rushed. We pat ourselves on the back with our to-do list, our check boxes, our paychecks, and our accomplishments. We oftentimes move heaven and earth to accomplish the things that we want to accomplish, the dominion that we want to bring about. We spend hours at work, hours doing this task at home or this task at work, thinking about it, planning for it. We rush from one thing to the next, oftentimes saying no to all the right things and yes to many of the maybe good things, maybe not best things. We use this work often to build ourselves up. We seek productivity most often for the sake of ourselves. It's our own sort of tower of Babel, if you will, our own little kingdom we're building. I don't know if you realize this, but there's this like crazy idea in our culture that busyness is like next to godliness. And busyness in the church even is next to godliness. It's worshipped. In many ways, our cultural idol of work is oppressive and enslaving. And then each day on this side, we, each week or each season, we, we scrounge to find time to rest. Oftentimes, I've, see, I've seen this in my own life where the Lord will like, I will be working and, and probably sinfully like to a sinful extent, not resting well, and then all of a sudden my body starts to like shut down. Anybody else is in here do, do that? Like my body just starts to go, you know what, you're done, okay? No more for you, and then I'm useless to everybody. You know, I get the man cold, and my, my wife's like, oh, here's your soup, let me take care of you. She's very kind. Um, but seriously, my body just starts to go, no, I, I can't. So I, I'm forced to rest. As we think about resting, how do we rest? How do you rest? Oftentimes our resting looks like vegging out on the couch with the TV or in the recliner. Or maybe we sleep, 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 
sleep, or maybe your rest looks like shopping, or maybe it looks like fixing the house. Oftentimes our rest looks like neglecting important things or putting important things off till a later date. But is this the kind of rest God has called us to? Is this the kind of work that God has called us to? What is true godly work, faithful work? What is true rest? What is resting well? Is it sleeping? Is it coffee and a window to peer through? Is it skipping church because you work so hard on Saturday? I mean, Sunday's supposed to be the Sabbath, right? What does true work look like? What does true rest work with? What does it look like to faithfully work and rest? Well, if we are to be a people who on earth experience peace, we must learn how to work faithfully and rest well. Jesus came. He worked faithfully. He rested well. His incarnation shows us the value of both. That there is dignity and goodness in work. And there is dignity and goodness in rest. But it seems as though in our culture, work seems to be this predominant idol. And you couple that with legalism and this sense of I've got to earn my righteousness. And we have this, mess, this recipe for disaster. Busyness equals godliness. Let me give you a proof. If I were to say our cultural idol, I believe, in my opinion, is working and the cultural idol of another culture was rest. I wonder how many of us would feel a measure of superiority to that culture. And you might be jealous because you might want to actually rest, but there's this sense of like accomplishment, right? Like this sense of, well, I'm glad I'm not that. I'm glad I'm not lazy. I'm glad I get things done. At least I'm not like them. What I don't think we realize is that in the midst of this working, that God is calling us to rest, to biblical rest, to resting well. Most of us, our, our, our problem is not that, that we're lazy, although I'm certain that that is in here and we all have times of laziness. The problem is, is we idolize bringing dominion every moment of the day and so we don't rest. For many of us, we think work stops at five and resting is from five o'clock on, right? We, if, we, if you have a job with banker's hours, right? You get done at five. My work is done. Now everything after five o'clock is resting. And then I go back to work tomorrow. And what we don't realize is that, again, if we're defining work as more than that which we do for a paycheck, but that which we do to bring about dominion, then the things we do after five o'clock until the time we close our eyes to sleep could very well be rest as, I'm sorry, work just as much as eight to five was work for you. That on your days on the weekends could be just as much work as your eight to five was. We idolize, we worship 
bringing dominion, building the things around us, and, and building things, creating things, bringing dominion. These are all God-given things, but when we idolize them, the thing that tends to go from us is rest. And if we don't understand, I'm sorry, if we do understand the purpose of rest, we will understand how desperately we need it. When you think about rest, what's the purpose? Why do you need it? Do you need rest? Do you need to go home and rest this evening, tonight, just so that you can go to work tomorrow? Do we need it just so that we can be productive or just so that we can have our mental wits about us? Why do we need rest? Listen, rest is not primarily for the purpose of doing more work. And I think most of us make rest a means to a different end than what it was meant to be. Rest is not primarily for the purpose of doing more work. Resting well. Resting well. The the meaning of resting, the purpose for which God has given us rest is for the means of remembering rightly. If you want to write down something, write this down. Resting well means remembering rightly. Resting well means remembering rightly. Listen, resting well is not primarily about downtime. It's not primarily about unplugging, about getting away from it all, breaking from the norm, or sleeping. Resting well is about reorienting your mind upon the Lord. It's about changing, about resetting. It's about remembering the Lord. To remember the Lord and all that he has said concerning himself. To remember the Lord your God in such a way that it begins to shape and mold your affections, and then subsequently your doings. Rest is for remembering rightly. Resting well means remembering rightly. And then when your mind and your heart are reoriented toward the Lord, only then can our hands work faithfully. Only then. I think we tend to get the cart before the horse, if you will. If you were to ask me what I think, and this is an opinion here, what I think is more important, working or resting, I'd say if you understand biblical rest, then rest is more important. Sitting at the feet of Jesus is more important. Resting in him. Remembering him. In many ways, I think resting well is a prerequisite for working faithfully. And I think that's why, in part, we're in such a tizzy with our working. It's because we've not learned what it truly means to rest. And so when, if rest is for remembering... And later, we'll talk about this because of the fall, we tend to forget. Then when we go out working, 
if our tendency is to forget, then how much do we need time to rest and remember? Listen, the incarnational Christ rested. Mark 1.35, and rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And there are many other countless examples of Jesus modeling for us the proper understanding and use of the Sabbath and a rhythm of working and resting. Jesus' life of rest shows us that it's good, that resting is something that honors God and something that should be an intentional practice, something we must plan for. We must set aside. We must arrange. Listen, it won't just happen. Now, uh, listen, okay. Uh, maybe, maybe you fall into the category of a bit lazy. So maybe vegging on the watching TV or sitting with a book or whatever might come natural. But to sit and remember the Lord does not come natural to our flesh. It does to the Spirit. The Spirit at work in us. So when you see that, you see that longing, I want to spend time with the Lord. I want to remember the Lord. Then think back to last week in new birth. That is a result of the work of the Spirit in your life. Even that inkling of, I want to get up, I want to remember him today. We rest to remember rightly, to restore our minds, to focus upon the Lord. Again, Jesus truly knew how to work faithfully and rest well. Remembering the Lord. If that is truly rest, then no wonder we live under the oppressive weight of working. Because if we're not taking the time to reorient our minds, to impact our affections, that then change the decisions in the course of our working, that we are going to work, 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 work. And what we're calling resting, I think oftentimes is just simply not. So today, I want to begin with an Old Testament, with the Old Testament and the idea of resting to remember. So let's go to that Exodus 20 passage. Verse 8 through 11. Exodus 20, verse 8 through 11. It says this. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So the first thing as we think about resting is that we should rest to remember our Creator. Remember your Creator. Let me give you a little bit of context as we're kind of jumping into this passage which again is not, not our typical, but not our typical mode of operation, but the context is this. Maybe you maybe some of you've seen The Prince of Egypt. Okay, so a lot of that movie has already happened. 
And here we come, the Israelites, again, if, remembering that movie, the Israelites providentially land in Egypt because of a famine in their land. And of course, through uh, a key leader who was an Israelite, the Lord begins to, uh, to show favor to them. The, the Israelites grow, but then eventually what happens is Pharaoh feels threatened by their growing number. And so what's Pharaoh do? He enslaves them. He puts them to work, hard, laborious work. They're treated cruelly, even including mass genocide of all male infants around the time Moses was born. And as we know from the story, if you're familiar with it, Moses is the one whom God uses to rescue the Israelites. The Israelites then leave Egypt out of God's rescue and head to a promised land that was committed to their ancestor, Abraham, by God. And on this journey, they end up at a mountain called Sinai where, they're, where they worship God and they wait for God's divine instruction for them as a new people. So God is, God is giving them instructions now to say, this is what it's going to look like to be my people, to live under my rule, Here's what it's going to look like. See, listen, these people understood an oppressive work life. They knew what it was like to work, 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 and never get anywhere. They knew what it was like to have rest as a fleeting thought. And so God, as they're at Mount Sinai, God asked Moses to write down some things that will express to these people what it will be like to live under his rule, his reign, his authority, to work under him, to rest under him, what it will look like under his dominion. And it's within this context that God, God's people are given the command of Sabbath rest. Now here's, again, that's the context. Now what does Moses do or what does the Lord do through Moses here? Moses roots the rhythm of rest and work in creation. Working and then rest is rooted in creation. It's a pre-fall reality. It's before sin enters the world. God provided everything humanity would need to flourish, right? In these six days, he provides food, plants, water, land, beauty, work opportunity, etc. Then it says God rested after his work was done. Now, God did not get tired or drained from his working. He's God. So what does it mean? What does it mean that God rested on this seventh day? Now, I think if we're not careful, I think we can get hung up on this particular phrase when we need to get hung up on the next phrase. The first phrase is, if you go back to Exodus 20, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And then he goes on and says, for in six days, verse 11, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Don't get hung up there. What's the next phrase? I think we need to get hung up on the next phrase. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. The Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. What does that mean? Yeah, was God tired? He blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. I want you to understand a couple things here. God set aside the seventh day for a very specific task. 
Okay? Now I'm going to define this task. Work with me here. First of all, God blessed this day. He, he sets it aside. He, and another way to say, he sanctifies this day. Now, now listen, in Hebrew culture, blessing often means the favor which God bestows upon his people. Go read a passage like Genesis 31. Meaning the blessing of this day was not just, hey guys, I got a cool day. I'm going to call the Sabbath. Now make sure you keep that on your calendars, okay? You can do whatever you want, but just make sure you remember this day. No, he made the Sabbath to be a blessing to his people, right? And then later Jesus will say, the man was not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for the man, right? So God's intent on setting aside the Sabbath was to be a blessing to his people. So here's what he did. He made all of creation. I mean, think about that. God makes all of creation and then he set aside a day. Now, again, back up with me. All right, I'm getting ahead of myself here. He made all of creation, right? All of it. The beauty, the wonder, the power it took, the creativity it took, the intentionality that he had, the wisdom in it. Like to bring order, to create out of nothing, to set the moon in the sky, to rotate at just the right angle, at just the right time, to put the earth, to put the sun to rule over the sky, to, to create seasons of change, warm, cold. All of this orchestration, he does all of this. And then he sets aside a day to reflect or remember what he had done. He set aside a day to marvel at his own goodness. To go, wow, look at that. That's awesome. <laughs> you ever done that? You ever created something and been like, Wow. I did a pretty good job on that. Now, there's the right way to do that. I mean, we can be prideful and arrogant in that, but we can also recognize the beauty of the creator working through our hands and go, wow, I did that. It's beautiful. So God sets aside a day to remember the excellence and dignity of his works. He set aside a day to celebrate his own glory. Listen, God had from the beginning the welfare of humankind on his mind. The timing, these six days, 24 hours, 24 hours, the timing is not ultimately for God, but for us. God creates the world in six days, not because time was of any consideration for the one of whom created time itself. He creates in six days in order to engage us in the consideration of his glorious works. He had the same end in view in the appointment of his rest. God's bringing order to this world meant a sun to rule one portion, a moon to rule the other, seasons, changes, etc. I want you to understand something. If any portion of these changes were to be threatened, the sun that governs the sky during the day and the moon, if these things... You understand that the world would be in danger of disorder. 
The truth is when, when we then step outside of God's ordained rhythms for us. If you go, if you go read the, the book of Numbers, this was striking to me this week. God gives them all these feasts and festivals. Do this, do this offering, give this offering, give this offering. It's going to be on this day and this day and this day. You got this festival and this festival. These festivals start off the first half of the year. These festivals start off the second half of the year. What is God doing? God is taking the Israelites and saying, you need to remember my rhythms. That, that I've created the world to work in a rhythmic order. And so it is for your good. When you and I, if, if that order is to be threatened, then chaos could come about. Same thing's true for us. Listen, the literality of 24 hours here, I don't think is meant for us to have endless debates on literal six-day creationism, but the framing of 24 hours was God's means to lead his people, to show them the way to divide out space and time to separate out space and time, to show them how to measure and how to be healthy. And so God sets aside the seventh day for remembering the glory of the creator. Now again, remember that this rhythm is established pre-fall. So this is not just simply because we forget to worship him. It's set this way because it's a good thing. Do you hear me? This is not just because we tend to forget God. This is established before the fall happens. That we would stop and rest and remember and reflect. So this is not just, okay, I need to make sure I take a day of rest when I get to the point where I'm not remembering well enough. Right? That's the danger here. If we don't, if we don't understand that restful rhythm is a pre-fall reality. Remember, Jesus rested, and it wasn't because he had done anything wrong or because he forgot the glory of God or because he didn't remember his creator. He rested because it was a good thing. So God consecrates this day for his people, a day that God claims for himself, a day for us to meditate on him. As one author said this, that on this day, mankind should consider the infinite goodness, justice, power, and wisdom of God in this magnificent theater of heaven and earth. That is the purpose for which the seventh day was made. It's set apart from the other six. It's a distinct day. It's not just a day to do whatever you want. It's got a specific purpose. It's got a divine end to it. It's not just for running marathons. It's not just for getting lawn work done. It's not just for catching up at the office. It's not just for serving at the local group of unfortunate people. It has a divine purpose. The seventh day is not meant to be a holiday. It is meant to be a day that we intentionally remember the creator. Now remember, he reminds the people of this pattern now post-fall. This Exodus passage is post-fall. This is in the reality of sin. And here he is re-establishing, re-committing, re-instructing this rhythm for his people. Now the problem of sin, right? So now post-fall, the problem of sin and the struggle to remember. As you can continue, as you continue to read the book of Exodus and Numbers and so on, you'll constantly see this pattern. The glorious, loving works of God, like creation, this is awesome, wow. 
then you see his provision and his rescue and the manna falling from the sky and popping up from the dew and meat somehow everywhere. And the people trust God. Then the people forget and the people sin. Repeat, 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 repeat. Listen, God knows that his people struggle to remember their creator. And so he reminds them to keep the Sabbath. When we forget the glory of the creator, here's what happens. We exchange it for the worship of another. When we fail to remember the glory of the creator, we will worship the creation. The reality is, as we spend time working, creating, doing, we are tempted often to admire and worship the work of our own hands and thus forget the power, justice, glory of our Creator. Now, what are we saying biblical rest is? What am I arguing biblical rest is? Rest is for remembering. The Sabbath was set aside that we might employ ourselves in the worship of God. It's to restore our minds to the remembrance of the glory of God. Rest is for the purpose then, for us post-fall, to walk in repentance and faith. Rest is meant to say, I don't want to worship this anymore, Father. Help me to worship you. To turn from marveling at just the work of our own hands by our own abilities to marveling at the work of God's hands. It's a time to realign the soul. It's a time to reestablish the trajectory of our hearts and minds. It's a time to consider your creator. So let me ask you this question. Do you have a day where you intentionally, biblically rest? You have a day each week, every seven days, that you intentionally, biblically rest? A day where you spend restoring your mind to remember the creator. A day where you confess the worship of other things and turn to faith in God. Some of us need to repent for wasting our rest. Say, sorry, Lord, I've been using it for a holiday. I've been using it for just more work. That I thought I called rest. I thought was rest. Listen, some of you are so tired because what you've been calling rest, again, is just work of a different color. And listen, I am the chief of sinners here. Remember, the goal is not just that we worship the Lord, though, on the seventh day, but that we worship him always. But the seventh day is meant to aid in daily faithful worship. Let's go to another Old Testament passage. Deuteronomy 5, 12 through 15. It says this, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. 
You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day, to remember your Creator, next remember your Redeemer. Remember your Creator, remember your Redeemer. The Sabbath day, your rest time is for remembering the Creator and for remembering your Redeemer. Now, here's the key context for this passage. Those who were at Mount Sinai had been slaves in Egypt. They made it to the promised land, right, only to distrust God that he would give the promised land to them. So they were disciplined to walk the wilderness until this entire generation dies off. Now, those present in Deuteronomy 5 are the children of those who were rescued from Egypt, And these are updated instructions given to a new generation who are about to enter the promised land. So that's our context. Now here's the key difference. Exodus, the passage in Exodus on the Sabbath is rooted in creation. This one is rooted in redemption. It gives us this second purpose for the Sabbath. Remember the creator. Remember your redeemer. This generation, understand the practicality here. The gener- this generation did not experience intimately the redeeming power of God, the rescue from slavery. They hadn't experienced this intimately like their parents and grandparents had. Again, this is a post-fall generation. This is God reapplying the blessing of rest to his people. And so God, through Moses, intends to make sure that these subsequent generations don't forget that they serve and follow a redeeming God. That redemption is what he's about. Again, remember, the same pattern pulses on through The glorious, loving works of God, the people trust, then the people forget, and the people sin. Repeat. And so God says to them in this passage, observe the Sabbath. Observe. You know what that word there for observe means? It means to guard. It means to preserve this day. It means with intentionality, make sure this day happens. Means to protect it, to keep other things from crowding it out, to not let sports distract you, to not let your job take it over, to not let your selfish ambitions rule the day, to not use it as a holiday or just for another hobby. Again, you and I struggle each and every day to remember that God is our Redeemer. You remember the sermon from last week? We struggle to know and remember that our God loves us. There will come that day when that faith shall be sight, and we shall never forget that he loves us, that he redeemed us and showed his love in that act. To remember the one who loved us and rescued us. I want to read a New Testament passage for you, Romans 6, 17 through 18. It says this, But thanks be to God... That you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. You see this redeeming work in the Old Testament. I want you to see this redeeming work here in the New. 
We have been set free. Here's what we've been set free from. The endless pursuit of the destruction that comes from sin. Now put that in the context of the terms we're using here. Slaves to the disastrous use of time to work our hands into the ground for a pathetic mortal kingdom at best. We work, 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 work. Now listen, I know most of you feel like, I work just to get ahead two days only to fall behind three. I work and work and everything is awesome. Yes, there's a Lego movie about that. Only to still be lonely and empty. I work and work and everything seems to work against me. I work and work and don't seem to see any progress. I'm running around like a chicken with my head cut off, right? Listen, I feel it. I, I, I know, like, listen, th- this merger and our churches coming together has been one of the most physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually difficult times of my life. It's been work. Lots of it. There have been many days, dare I say even most, that I walk as a slave to my own sin of production and work. Trying to work, work, and work only to go to bed more anxious than I did. I started the day out. It's tough. Slave to sin. But listen to me. We have been set free from this pursuit. We've been set free from this. We're not slaves to this anymore. We're not slaves to this self-focused kingdom building. We're not free from work. Work is good. But we're free from working for our own selves. Free from working in a slavish way to build our own kingdoms that never seem to be just right. Remember, you have been redeemed in the middle of your day. Remember, you have been redeemed. You've been set free from this slavish work. You've been set free. You've been restored. Here's what you need. We need to rest well. We need to rest for remembering. And we need to set aside time every week to remember redemption. You need to remember that God has set you free from this frenzied, never-ending pursuit to work our hands to the bone for the building of our little kingdoms. He has brought us out of the Egypt of our own sin. He has set us free. We've been set free by the redeeming work and rest of Jesus, where he comes, lives the righteous life, dare I say even, rests in this righteous life that you and I could not do. And he dies the death that we deserve. Always remembering the Lord. Always trusting the Lord. And he dies to set us free to know and worship his Father. Resting is only meant to be a holiday 
if by holiday you mean swimming in the meditations of his glory. Remembering your creator. Remembering your redeemer. Remembering your creator reminds us of our purpose. To work faithfully for his glory and to rest well. Remembering his glory. Remembering your redeemer reminds us that he loves us. And all his purpose and plans for our working and our resting are good. Let me leave you with this question. What should I do during this series? I would start here. Are you resting well? Are you resting well? Is your rest for the purpose of remembering your creator and your redeemer? If not, ask the Lord to forgive you for delighting in lesser visions of rest. For exchanging what you could have for lesser visions of rest. And ask him to give you faith to believe that true rest is found only in him. That's why we need to set aside a day to remember our creator and to remember our Redeemer, so that we might work faithfully and rest well. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Father, thank you for even the walk of repentance that I've had to do this week. Fathers, I've had to even confess to my wife that I've not been faithfully keeping a Sabbath. Sure, I have days that look like what we might call rest, but not intentional use of time, especially in this rhythm of life. Not setting aside time to remember you intentionally. So, Father, I thank you for for your work of the Spirit in my own heart. And I pray that the same working of the Spirit would be true in all of our hearts. Father, our work and such would, would be more faithful if we would take the time to rest well. But help us to remember that our resting well is not just so that we can work more faithfully, but our resting well so that we might delight in the glory of our Creator and our Redeemer that we might sit at your feet in worship and praise of our God. That that would be the ultimate end for which we rest. Father, give us the grace to remember our Creator and remember our Redeemer. Father, for it's in your Son's name I pray. Amen.